turn with me to your Bibles, Exodus 16. We're not going to read all of it, but I'll give you some homework. College professors give homeworks, and believers need to have homework. Um, We're always learning and hopefully changing. So starting in Exodus 16, verse 1. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And it will come about on the sixth day when they prepare prepare what they bring in. It will be twice as much as the the gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And on the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses says, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to fulfill us in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against the Lord. And what are you, or what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregations of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, they looked forward to the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came about at evening, the quails came, came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of, of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine, flake-like thing, fine as horrible frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to him, What is it? But they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it of every man as much as he should eat. You should take an omer apiece, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much, some gathered little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as, as much as he should eat. And Moses said to them, Do not leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. And they gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Now it came about on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two more omers for each one. When the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses that he, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. 
and all that's left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside till morning as Moses had had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm on it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord, that today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Let's pray for a moment. Father, there's a, a lot of material here, almost too much to even talk about in 25 minutes. But I pray your spirit will speak to each one of us. They will go away saying we have met with you, we've heard you, and we will obey you. Lord, give us ears to hear you speak. In our Savior's name, amen. As some of you may know, I've been working on a book. I got the rough draft of it. And it's called Corners. And this is the fourth chapter out of that book. And I, one of the reasons why I'm doing it this way is that uh, my chapters are long. So the modern student of the word can't handle anything long and so it needs to be shortened and so that's what I'm experimenting with you on my shortens, shorter versions and to be honest with you as I worked on this every time I preach or teach even when I teach the same class at the University of Tennessee three times in a row each class was different and the students said why it's exciting to the day. I bring new examples, new insights. I wouldn't teach the same thing every time. And I do that same thing when I do a sermon. Every time I do a sermon, even if I've taught it before, I revamp the whole thing, pray about it, and go through it. And so as I worked on the beginning of this sermon, having been an author and still authoring books and everything else, there are 20 ways to start. And I've been praying about it all week. And so my wife said, well, just be honest. And that's all I can be, is honest. It's been a struggle. Because the title of this sermon is A Legitimate Need. And the need we all have is to know Jesus better. That's the need we all have. But we also have other needs. Apostle Paul writes in First Timothy, with uh, food and covering, that's all we need. But we really have a need for Jesus more than anything else. And so that's where we're going to be at, that need. And if you remember from the New Testament in the book of John, after the feeding of the 5,000, John 6, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And if you study through that whole chapter in John 6, as he explains to the disciples who are with him, he had many of the disciples leave him. They couldn't handle 
the tough things he could say. But Peter says, no, we're not leaving. You have the words of eternal, eternal life. You're the Holy One. So none of the 12 left, but a lot of the other disciples, which wanted a big shindig, want a lot of show, they left. And I don't know if they were aware of all the truths involved here, but there are a lot of truths here. And one of the reasons I started this book on, out of book of numbers, and call it Corners, every time there is a test, there are ten tests in the wilderness, every test reflects God's character in some way. At the Red Sea is the first test. I haven't given you that sermon because I think you probably think you know it, but you really don't. But we will, won't go there. But it comes through that God is a deliverer. He can deliver. He does the impossible. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. That's what we need to hear a lot these days. The second test was at Merah, or the water was bitter. They had nothing to drink. And God tells them, hey, I'm your healer, Jehovah Rapha. I can heal your soul. I can heal your relationships. I can heal, heal your body. I can heal your past. And I can heal your present. And now we get into I am the bread of life. Well, let's look at it. There were grumblings, or I like to restate it is reactions to the unexpected. That's when we grumble the most. We expected things to go a certain way, to have a certain timing, and it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. Now, you need to understand the background. 30 days after Israel reached the wilderness of sin, it's 30 days, it's only taken 30 days, they've seen two tremendous deliverances. But prior to that, they had 10 miracles in Egypt. And now they're in the process of seeing more miracles. They saw one miracle, a cloud by day, fire by night. They saw the miracle of the water, bitter water being sweet. They've seen a lot of miracles. There's a, when I was working on this years ago, there was an old book that made the comment to travel across the Sinai Peninsula in Moses' day would have taken about 40 days. 40 days with provision. It ends up taking them 40 years. Wow. And we also know, turn with me to Exodus 12. I'm trying to build a little background. Verse 39, I think it's where we want to be. And they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened. And since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared, prepared any provisions for themselves. The thing you need to realize, 
They were going on a trip, but they didn't have time to plan for it. It was hasty. They were leaving. We have times in life. We got something to do quick. We got to move fast. They did. They didn't have time. They probably only had provision for 30 days of travel at the most. And they expected provisions by now. See, that's what got them in trouble. They expected provisions by now. But they still had their flocks and their herds. Do you realize that the size of their flocks and herds could have been at least a million animals? A million animals. And they collect another 800,000 just before they go into the promised land. You have to have economies of scale to handle that. At least a million. So they weren't really going to die. And what's interesting is they didn't pray. See, you've got to understand now. There's nothing said about prayer here. They grumbled because you've got to realize when you're a slave for 400 years, you don't know how to pray. We're slaves to sin. If you've not been brought up in a family that knows how to pray, you don't really know how to pray. It takes practice. It takes time. And so their natural response was to bust at leadership. That's what they did. And notice something else they did. In verse 3, they exaggerated their past and their present need. Wait, well, we remember sitting by those pots, all that food? Uh, I'm not sure that's what it really was. See, slaves always remember things differently. Those of us who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we see things differently if we have God's perspective from, this, from his word. When I study the word of God, I have a certain way to study it. I'm studying one book in the New Testament. I'm studying one book in the Old Testament. So I make links. All the time I'm interested in making links. And God makes a lot of links between old and new. They're, they're phenomenal. And they bring more insight to the new and the more insight to the old. And I'm always reading a book. In fact, I'm going through four or five books now at the same time. I'm a speed reader. But normally when I speed read, I don't get as much out of it. But when I read slowly, and I have a bunch of Tozer books, I read slowly. I have input from every source I can get. And I, my idea on a book, I will not, if I can't read it more than once, I won't read it. More than once, I won't ever read it. I don't read a book that's not worth reading ten times. That's the way I feel about it. It's got to be something that grabs me, that ministers to me. So these guys exaggerated. And turn with me now. I've noticed some of the, the passages there for you. Psalm 106.13. They quickly forgot his works. 30 days? Counting time in Egypt, maybe three or four months? 
Five months you've quickly forgot? How can you forget? How can you forget that redemption at the Red Sea? How can you forget those miracles that happened to the judgment on Egypt and those miracles you were separated from? How can you? It's easy when you're a slave. Because all you think about is the moment. That's all you think about. And Psalm 111.2 reads, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Wow. Studied by all who delight in them. We should delight in what God has done. And Psalm 111.4, He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. They forgot. The older I get, I don't want to forget. Now, I have a problem with memory. It's short-term memory. I'll be walking through the house, put something down, and I'll forget it. And my wife and I will go searching for it. I need beepers on everything I put down. But I eventually find it. But I haven't forgotten the word, and I haven't forgotten what God's done. Those are the things that make are important. Second category here is the goodness and glory of the Lord. God hears them. It's interesting, he doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't beat them up. He responds with grace and mercy. He understood that they were slaves. He understood where they were coming from. That's a God we serve. He understands where we're at. He understands our mistakes. Our frailties, he understands. He still responds with grace. He still does. He always will. But what is interesting, too, he tests them. In verse 4, he says that I may test them. I want to test the people. He wants to test them and that is God's prerogative. God has the right to test us. And this word test, test is uh, the word nasa, which is used here. There's three words for used for testing in the Old Testament. One is people testing people or things. God testing his people as he tested Abraham offering his son. That was nasa. And people testing God. But that is not their prerogative. They're usurping God's position. So God tests them. And it's a test that he wants them to pass. He tests us. He wants us to pass. Because when we pass that test, we mature a little bit more in the faith. We learn more about ourselves. We learn something more about him. It is a win-win for us to pass those tests. And then what God does, he disarms the grumbling by showing the glory of the Lord in the manna and in the cloud. When I study this book, 
I sense that the glory of the Lord is shining through it. That's what I want to see every day. When I see that, I know I have met with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm, gonna read, I'm reading through some things in Leviticus. Oh, God, give me a breath of fresh air. And he does. Or in my time in the New Testament, Leviticus is boring. Oh, but I'm going to take you someplace in Hebrews that you've been before. You marked it in your Bible, but you forgot it. His glory is manifested in this word. And he meets their needs. Immediately, he provides quail that evening. Quail. Now, later on in another test, he provides so much quail, they get sick eating it. But we'll get into that. And then he provides the manna. And this glory of the Lord, this manna, fell in the wilderness of sin. Isn't it coincidental? Huh? Hmm. Fell in the wilderness of sin. It fell on the dew, not the ground. It was a free gift. It was to Israel first. It was near to all. They individually had to appropriate it. It was small, humility. It was white. It was holy. It was sweet. Everything about it. That's your homework. Put all those things together and come up with a picture of what Christ is like. It is a beautiful picture. And there's a commentator by uh, an old writer by the name of Pink that does it on Exodus. And he goes through all these little details, and they all portray Christ. All of them. Then comes the gathering of the manna. For 40 years, they were going to gather it. There were seven instructions. Let's go through them again. A day's portion on days one through five. A omer apiece. That's about two quarts. About two quarts. For two million people for a day, if you had a refrigerated railroad car packed with manna, that would be anywhere from 26 to 35 railroad cars about a quarter of a mile to a half a mile long part of the train. Every day, when God supplies, it's always sufficient and abundant. That's the way he works. That's always his way. And they were gathered two days portion on the sixth day, and then, how is it to be t cooked? Well, this struck me this time. I missed it before when I studied this passage. They were to bake or cook it. And I told my wife, I, I remember for years ago, in one of my fast reading times, there was a book out, and I haven't been, or maybe it was just a pamphlet, 99 Ways to Cook Manna. And I couldn't find it on my shelf, so I don't know what, what I did with it. But there were two ways to cook the, cook the manna. You could boil it, which is the easiest way, or you could cook it, which is lots of ways to cook it. So when you study this book, you can approach it boiling the easy way. Read, meditate, 
or you can cook it in that you dig in and you dig in and you dig in and you meditate and pray over the passage. That's what God wants us if we're going to cook it. And they had two ways to do it. So it wasn't necessarily the same every day. Now, I love bluebell ice cream. But I don't think I could eat bluebell ice cream for every meal for 40 years. And especially like vanilla. So I can imagine why the, the people got a little tired of it. But there were different ways to cook it. No gathering on the seventh day was another room. Some will gather little, some will gather more, but nobody was ever lacking. They gathered early in the morning before the sun melts it. Must eat appropriately, or it would breed worms and stench. And what has always communicated that to me, my best time of the Lord is always early morning. As the day gets busy, it gets choked out. Now, there are sometimes the occasion happens you can't give it in in the morning. Those are rare, and so I get it that night, and I do something different. We've got to have that time. It's got to be a habit, a spiritual habit. But they had two failures. They left it until later in the morning, and some tried to gather it on the seventh day. There's always going to be failures in gathering the matter. There's always going to be failures. But we keep gathering. And then the last part of this is if you turn to Exodus 16, the Lord commands the people. Verse 32, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout generations that they may see the bread I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. He wanted them to have a jar of manna to remind the generations to come what he had done. We need to pass on the next generation. Hopefully one of my children will take my Bible. I hope they'll take what I have trained them to do. And they're doing pretty well. But we've got to pass on to the next generation. It's got to be the word, alive and living, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between soul and spirit. We need to pass that on. We have a generation, as you'll hear me talk about a moment ago, they are so self-focused, it makes me sick. It makes me sick. They're blaspheming God by everything they say, everything they do. Even the way they walk has a haughtiness to it. That's why I tell my wife, I watch the Western Station. I have no ads to put up with. I can't take them can't take them well let's look at applications here there are a lot 
in the realm, number one, in the realm of legitimate needs, God allows us the depletion of our natural resources, our reserves, and the natural means of meeting those needs to be the goad to drive us to trust him more deeply. To trust him more deeply. God allows those things to, to disappear. He knocks us to us. He tests us intentionally. Believers who have kids in college, you, you try to save for them to go to college. Well, you got three kids. Which one are you going to save for? I can only afford one of them. Because with tuition going up and up and up, you can't keep up. God has to be in control of it. And he does. He lets us run out of options deliberately. And that's great. That shows me not that he's hard, but that he loves me. He knows I've got to be trusting him. Number two, there's no security in having much or having little, but only in possessing more of Jesus Christ. As we surrender to him, he does it all. He wants us surrendered. Number three, complaining or grumbling tarnishes the glory of God, blinds us to God's perspectives. It also triggers more forgetfulness of him, the forgetfulness of his ways, of his words, and of his glory. It's nice, guys, that we got wives. They catch us when we grumble. My wife grumbles, but I never say anything. But there, she's for sure point points my grumbling. Sometimes it's not my word, just action. But I'm grateful for that. The God of disarmament doesn't bring glory to God. Number four, God tests our hearts daily in the first-hand collection and assimilation of manna from the Word. If you're going to read books, make sure they're good books. I've read everything Tozer has written. Those are good. And there's some other writers out there that are good. I just don't have time for cute stories. I need deep truth. I'm wrestling with deep problems. That's what sin is. It's a deep problem. And I was reading in Hebrews this week. It was one of my New Testament reading. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with a race, then let us run with run with endurance the race that's set before us. That word entangles also translates easily surrounds us. See, that's what sin does. It easily surrounds us. It chokes us up from seeing God's perspective and what God wants to do. That's how come sin is so dangerous. Just to mother it a little bit is not good. 
We've got to see sin as serious business. Continue on. Beware, a collection of manna truth for self leads to being puffed up. But share graciously with others in the power of the Holy Spirit leads to edification of the body and the disciples. That's what God has for us, to share that. Don't learn truth. See, Bible churches, it's always a problem. I, one of my churches I was in years ago was a Bible church. They taught the word great. But if it doesn't change my actions and gets me moving, it's just stored there. I was reading an article this morning. You see, I'm always reading. And this one is out of the decision, latest decision magazine. If you don't take that, it's a good resource to get you up to speed. It's from Billy Graham. It gets you up on hot issues. Had an article on the uh, idolatry of self generation. I've seen it in students, in the classes. I have more power than you, teacher. I can take you to the dean's office. I can give you a bad recommendation. I can get my way. You better give me a change of grade. No way. It's all about me. Dangerous word to be. And think about generation reminders that you can pass on to others. Look at the types in the Old Testament what they speak of Christ. Lots of reminders. Here's a note I wrote to myself years ago. I was going through the book of James. And I'll finish with this one. When I was in seminary, I took all the hard courses that I knew I was going to need down the road. I took one on the wisdom books. That would be Job, Psalm, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Tough. Because I knew that I would never dig it out on my own. I needed help. And then I took one on chronology. And that has been the one that's been most helpful for me, understanding the time sequence of things. And there was another difficult one, and I still consider it difficult, was the Sermon on the Mount. The whole course on the Sermon on the Mount. But the one on the wisdom books, later on when I was teaching and preaching, I was going through the book of, of James, and I hit James 4, and talking about wisdom from above. You remember that passage? The last part of wisdom, I think that's the um, 317. Wisdom from above. And here's the thought I wrote down. I don't know if it's mine or from another source. True wisdom is a fixed, righteous order of God to which the wise man submits his life. He submits his life. True wisdom is a fixed righteous order. It's spelled out in this book. In which the wise man submits his life. Let's pray.
Father, we pray that we will submit our life to you, that the study of your word, the study of what you're doing in our life, the acts you do, help us not fight you. Let us respond to the tests you put before us that we might honor you and bring glory to your name. In your name we pray. Amen.